Welcome to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. In this podcast series, every two weeks, host Audrey Dove shares with you a new topic related to innovation and its impact for the legal world, with a special focus on intellectual property. My guest today is Benoit Battistelli, involved in intellectual property for more than 20 years, from the French Ministry of Economy, where he led innovation, competitiveness, and IP, to the role of General Director of the French IP Office, INPI, from 2004 to 2010. Then he took on the leadership of the European Patent Office up until 2018. He shared with us his extensive experience of the IP legal and policy world in Europe and his vision of innovation. Benoit, you have a renowned track record in IP legal and policy matters. Do you believe that there is a European way of dealing with IP, meaning that Europe distinguishes itself from other areas of the world in this respect? Yes, I think there is a European uh, way and understanding of IP. Uh, first, we have to remind that IP has been uh, first developed in Europe. It's directly the uh, child of uh, the 18th century, what we call in French, le siècle des lumières. And even if the first concept of modern patent is uh, found in the American constitution, this is due to Benjamin Franklin, who uh, spent uh, some 10, 15 years in Paris at that time before coming back to the U.S. Okay. Uh, European system tries to find a balance between the interest of the innovators on one side and the interest of society on the other side. And it means that we have to consider that IP creates exceptions to the fundamental principles of free trade, free industry, and free competition. So the limits to those principles must be strictly limited to the uh, progress which are represented by patents. But it's also true for trademarks. We must try to avoid petty patents and non-justified trademarks. Could you give us a few examples of recent achievements at the European Patent Office? I can give two examples. The Mm -hmm. first one is a program that we call To Raise the Bar. We were more demanding concerning the quality of the applications in order to be able to deliver quality patents. And more recently, we have developed a new program which we called Early Certainty. Uh, All the professionals need to have visibility, predictability, and certainty concerning the uh, patent granting process. And for example, with this uh, program, we have been able at the EPO in 2017 and 2018 to deliver comprehensive search report plus a written opinion on patentability, an average of six months after receiving the application. So can be uh, European route, the PCT application, national procedures. In all cases, we deliver this uh, comprehensive report. So the applicant knows after six months if it is worth continuing the procedure 
So now we tend to be able to deliver the examination within 12 months after the examination has been uh, required. And uh, for an opposition, uh, the total uh, length of the procedure should not exceed 15 months. Mm -hmm. What do you consider as key challenges? Uh, in some cases, the applicants are not in such a hurry to have their patents. So uh, we have to find also a balance there. Last year, there were something like 2.5 million applications all over the world. You, you have to be extremely rigorous because when you deliver a patent, in fact, you deliver a derogation to the principle of free trade and free competition. You really have to be sure that this is worth doing it, and it's worth if it is strictly limited to the technical progress it represents. Benoit, while directing the EPO, you strongly advocated for simpler, faster, and more efficient procedures. In the same vein, in 2017, the EPO and the French IP office entered into a partnership agreement with the aim of setting an official framework for further cooperation in relation to IT projects, digitization, staff training, and other internal organizational and optimization matters. Could you please walk us through the efforts you initiated to make internal processes generally more efficient? Uh, it is a two-tier uh, system where we have uh, European Central Granting Authority, the EPO, and then you have uh, national offices in each country. Europe is quite uh, diverse in terms of patent capacity uh, among the 38 member states of the uh, European Patent Organization. So we have developed a policy which aim is to help each national office to upgrade its capacity to improve the quality of its uh, services. It concerns mainly training of the uh, patent examiners, patent formality officers, mm -hmm. and, and all uh, IP specialists. The second one mm -hmm. concerns the IT tools. We have to develop IT systems, information systems, which are compatible. And for the applicant, it should be neutral. And the third one concerns all the activities linked to patent awareness. And here I think that the national level, and even in some countries, the regional or local level, is the more, most appropriate one in order to be directly in contact with SMEs, with academic institutions, with uh, research centers, in order to provide them uh, the uh, appropriate advice concerning their IP strategy. Now, how IP registration systems and the IP offices that manage them can create opportunities or, on the opposite, some hurdles for creators and inventors? And along that line, what should be the core mission and the goals of IP offices with respect to innovation? Well, I think that um, the procedures especially for patents, it's, it's a bit less uh, the case for, for trademarks and, and designs. But especially for patents, it is a complicated procedure because once again, you have to balance at each stage of the process uh, the interest of the innovator and the interest of society. But we should try to streamline as much as possible to simplify and to automatize the procedure in order to avoid redundancies or unnecessary formalities. Because 
IP as such an economic and strategic dimension, it must be less and less, I would say, only the problem of a small minority of specialists, but it should be uh, understood by a large group of, let's say, uh, economic actors. Of course, we, we need IP specialists, and uh, in my view, their role is becoming more and more important but maybe less procedural and more strategic concerning how IP can help to uh, create added value and uh, economic development. Do you think breakthrough innovations such as artificial intelligence, and big data and most recent technologies, which have major impact on all industries, may ultimately have an influence on the strategies implemented by IP rights holders for the protection of their inventions and other IP assets? Well, this is, I think, uh, the whole challenge of the new technologies. We have developed some tools at the EPO, which uh, show that, let's say, 60% of the citations can be automatically found in a few seconds through uh, these tools. In some years, it would be uh, 80 or 90% of the citations. So it doesn't mean that uh, we, we could have a totally automatized process with some robot uh, in a law firm directly connected with the robot in the IP office, treating each case uh, in a few seconds. Of course, we will need the expertise and the competence of highly qualified specialists. They also increase the quality of the patents. And here, there has been an enormous progress recently uh, thanks to automatic translation capacities, because as a ling linguistic barrier, is a very uh, serious one. If not able to accede easily, let's say, to the Chinese documentation or the Japanese one, uh, then you have a, a kind of a huge hole in your system. And the risk could be that instead of having a patent which is valid all over the world, you could imagine to have a kind of Western patent based on the Western languages, English, German, French, uh, Spanish, uh, and so on, and uh, a kind of Asian patent uh, based on Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. In the uh, year 2012, we have developed the EPO Patent Translate, which is a partnership between Google and the EPO. And now we have this Patent Translate is using 32 or 33 different languages. So all the European languages, plus Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and Russian. And uh, when I left CPO, we had uh, an average of 20,000 translation requests per day. Of course, it's, uh, it's free and available to anyone. How did you proceed given the continuous progress of tech? We have also followed the technical progress on this issue. We started with a so-called statistical technology, and now it's a neuronal technology. We have must also take into account new technologies like blockchain, for instance. Talking about public policy, do you feel the European legal and regulatory framework provides a competitive forum for innovation to flourish? And what could or should be reconsidered or improved? 
Well, I think that the um, European IP system, and by that I, I include patents uh, with the EPO, but also the EU trademark and design, is technically very solid and delivers the services that the industry uh, needs. But if I take the patents, we are somewhere halfway of truly integrated European patent system in the sense that uh, once a patent is uh, granted by the EPO, it has to be validated in a certain number of member states. This is a decision of the patent holder. And by this uh, validation, we transform this European patent into national patents. Also, it creates some complexities and, uh, in, and some extra expenses. So that's why I have always been a strong supporter of the uh, unitary patent, because the unitary patent is really the, what was the aim of the uh, European Patent Convention when it was uh, signed in the 70s. And so I regret those delays, which are due to, uh, let's say, the political environment. And I, I do hope that uh, unitary patent will be uh, with uh, unified patent court will be operational as soon as possible, even if I am fully aware of uh, the last difficulties. We are expecting a decision from the uh, German Constitutional Court on one side, and also, of course, all the consequences of the Brexit. And what about trademarks? I think that the EU trademark is a success, and the uh, same for the design. And here, Maybe what could be envisaged, but of course it's a bit hypothetical, is the fact that it is only limited to the EU members and doesn't cover the other European countries. So let's go now beyond Europe and having in mind the current geopolitical context, including the US and China trade war, do you think IP is doing okay now? And do you believe this year and beyond will lead to an increased protection of IP rights or on the opposite, that this protection will be more challenged? Well, here I think you have to, to distinguish the technical aspects and the uh, political ones. IP creates tools, patents, trademarks, designs. Then the way those tools are, are used can be extremely uh, different. If you take China, I think they have been able largely thanks to a very deep and strong cooperation with Europe to create an IP system which is now, let's say, at international standard. The whole legal, uh, administrative rules and so on are really at the international level. Then the way the IP policy is used in terms, for instance, of transfer of technologies uh, and that kind of things, of course, doesn't depend on the technical issues. It, it is a choice of uh, economic policy, it's a choice of uh, the national policy. So it's something which uh, is not in the, in the competence of, of uh, IP offices or IP specialists. It is the decisions of governments. Okay. Another example is uh, about counterfeiting. I think that progress has been made. I remember something like 10 or 15 years ago, it was difficult to pronounce the word counterfeiting in the UN assembly. It was shown as something, a kind of weapon used by the North against the South and so on. I think we have uh, progressed since that time, but at the same time, those who are utilizing and organizing the world-level counterfeited traffics uh, are, have also progressed. So uh, it doesn't mean that we have to... Uh, 
once again, uh, reduce our efforts. On the contrary, we have to uh, increase our efforts in order to obtain good IP systems and to be sure that those rights will be respected all over the world. Could you also say a word about harmonization and the so-called IP5? As you know, the IP5 is an informal gathering of the five biggest offices in the world. Before with the trilateral, which was US, Japan, and Europe, it had been extended uh, 11 or 12 years ago to uh, China and uh, South Korea. And so those five offices, in terms of patents, uh, represent uh, something like uh, 80, 85 percent of the applications in the world. So if those offices are able to harmonize their procedures, their tools, their processes, then I think we make great progress uh, for the uh, efficiency, the simplicity of the world patent system. And mm -hmm. so we have uh, achieved a lot of uh, good results during this period. Just one example, for instance, is the CPC Corporation Patent Classification. As you know, before there were three different classification systems used at different countries. And now we have only one, which has been uh, created by a partnership between the uh, USPTO and the EPO, and where the EPO has played a, a leading role, because uh, this new CPC is based on the uh, former European patent classification uh, system. It is now used in something like 50, 60 countries, and I think it is in the interest of the global economy. Talking now about private sector, what would be your recommendations for companies, including startups, uh, to ensure the most effective protection for their IP assets while keeping some flexibility, of course, in the creative process and limiting the related costs and time required? I think that IP and especially patents are absolutely essential for startups. Very often, it is their only asset. They have uh, no uh, turnover, they have no uh, client and so on, but they have a patent and through this patent, they can develop their activities. I know that uh, many people uh, say that patents are complicated, are expensive and so on. But first, I think it is possible to uh, simplify. Secondly, especially in Europe, it is possible to reduce the costs significantly. Uh, through the unitary patent, we will be able to reduce the average cost for protection protection in the main markets in Europe by something like 70%, 70%. I strongly believe that in spite of these complexities, without patents, most of the startups could not uh, develop uh, their activities and their potential. And it's quite interesting to see that it's even in the technical fields where you have the quickest technical obsolescence that in fact they are the most using patents. Uh, but once again, we have to uh, always try to uh, improve this tool in terms of efficiency, simplicity, and costliness. But many IP offices do even more today. W what's your view on the evolution of their roles? You cannot expect from IP offices more than what they can provide. IP offices are not innovation agencies. They are to finance uh, new inventions and so on. You have other institutions, business angels, uh, venture capital. Once again, an IP office, what he must deliver is on a totally neutral and objective basis, 
a patent or a trademark which are legally solid. And then you have also a, a huge uh, challenge, which is if you are ready to finance an inventions, will you deliver a patent only on the classical uh, criteria or will you be uh, incented to deliver a patent because uh, you are financing uh, this uh, invention? I'm a bit straightforward here, but I think that uh, there is a Chinese wall between innovation agencies and IP offices. Yes, I understand it's an open debate. And now to conclude, Benoit, tell us your secret. How do you keep up with tech and IP legal innovation? Well, I don't think I have a secret. One aspect probably is that the granted activities of IP office But there is another one which is also extremely important. It is the dissemination of technical information. Uh, you, you know that the first laws about patents, and the first one in France was adopted during the French Revolution in 1790. Uh, it was the idea that an invention can be protected and benefited from a kind of monopoly during a certain period of time on a certain territory. But the counterparty of that is that you must uh, publish your invention. So it contributes to the technical progress. And of course, since this uh, period, IP officers have developed huge databases, which they made available. And if I take the example of the EPO, we have EspaceNet with uh, several hundred millions of documents, which are available directly on our site. It will be probably Uh, extremely useful if every day uh, engineers all over the world start their working day by connecting themselves on those databases just to see what their competitors are doing, what are the new technical trends in their field. Thank you, Benoit. My guest today was Benoit Battistelli, the former president of the European Patent Office. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for future episodes of Brand and New, a podcast from the International Trademark Association. If you liked this episode and think someone else would too, please share it. And to learn more about INTA, please visit INTA.org.